Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to be talking about books about infidelity. Uh, This popped into my head because I was thinking about a comment that someone in my book club made, and they said that all the books that we have read had infidelity in them, and it made me start to think about that. So I asked Gail if she could get together a collection of books on infidelity and I would do the same and we would share them with you. So secondly, on the show, we're going to be discussing March Madness. That will be at the very end of the show. Uh, Our listeners were able to vote on that final book pairing that we were having a little bit of trouble with. So we'll talk about that and then get into the new pairings and advance some more winners. I don't think we're going to have much book news because I think between Infidelity and March Madness, we have plenty to talk about. Yes. And yeah, I I think that should be, we can briefly hit upon what we have been reading. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm excited for this next round. We've got some, <laughs> some we've got some hard ones here, some hard choices here. So. Yeah, I really like that we rank them this time. I think that's going to make all the difference in terms of just having those difficult battles. So what have you been reading? I just finished Luster by Layla Ravani. And why did I feel like you had already read that? I think because it was one of those books last year that I was taking forever to read because it's it's about this millennial woman who is in this relationship with this married man. It's kind of open. Um and she becomes involved with the wife and his daughter that he's raising, and they are raising an African-American daughter. So her life is just full of struggle. You know, she's having trouble with her job. She is in this relationship, which is not equitable to her. And now she's like trying to involve or trying to steer this young black girl because she is in need of help living in white suburbia in New Jersey. So it was a heavy book to be reading. Um, Like there there are things that she just gets right on about city life, about, you know, life as a black woman, um, sort of some of the bleakness of relationships in New York sometimes. Like there was just a lot going on with a lot going on. So I read it at a snail's pace. And finally, I think I had gotten really close. So maybe that's why you thought I had finished. Mm-hmm. I was probably mm-hmm. able to talk about it at length. But so I just finally finished up those last 20 pages and was glad to see that there was a little bit of redemption and hope and an upward trajectory <laughs> for this girl. What do about you? Recommend you? It? I do. I mean, it's not a light book by any means for our listeners who gravitate towards darker, heavier fare. Um, 
I would recommend it then. And even for people like that, like it, everything is going to depend on where you are. Like, are you in a place where you can take on that? Because I think that there's a lot about just being a woman, being a young adult, having your first job, trying to figure out a lot of things, you know, just depending on where you land with that could be very, I think it could take its toll on you. So it's a heavy book. Just know that going in, but she makes a lot of astute observations. Like I was talking about this to a friend and I said, like the book was so good, but I just felt like her observations were just so raw and they, and they just keep coming throughout the whole book. So I felt like bombarded by this somewhat cynical, but, you know, very astute lines throughout. Mm -hmm. Like if I tried to mark the parts that seem like particularly relevant or whatever, the whole book would just be highlighted. Mm, One of those. Yeah. So what about you? So I think I mentioned the last time we talked that I was in a major reading slump and I just was like, couldn't get anything done, but I did finish two books. So were you, so like, you were able to claw your way out? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I'm behind as far as like my usual pace, but I did finish two books. So that was good. So, so um, why don't you tell us about the one that you liked best? Yeah. So the one I liked the best is probably Between Two Kingdoms by Suleika Joad. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing her name right. Um, This is a memoir about a young woman who is diagnosed with leukemia in her early 20s. And it's all about basically the next decade of her life, which is spent, you know, treating and ultimately beating the leukemia and then what it's like on the other side. So the two kingdoms are, you know, the kingdom of sickness and the kingdom of health. And it's just like a pretty painstaking memoir about, you know, what it's like to be in and out of the hospital for months at a time undergoing chemo and um, bone marrow transplant and the impact it had on her relationships and her life and her mindset and uh, some of the friendships she made while she was in the hospital. And the second half is really about what she does after she's done with her treatment. And she ends up like borrowing a friend's car and driving across the country and visiting people, many of whom she'd never met, who she had corresponded with while she was sick. Because she had a New York Times column about being young and sick. Um, And a lot of people were reaching out to her because of her column. So she developed sort of correspondence with a number of people. And so that second half is about her road trip to see them and what that was like. So something about this book was very, like you were just saying about being like, you were reading it really slowly when you were talking about luster. I read this one really slowly. So I'm looking back and thinking maybe it wasn't so much me as it was just the book I was reading because it was very dense. Just, you know, you didn't want to skim it because her paragraphs were full of details and thoughts about what she was going through and you know, the relationships and the ups and downs of the treatment. And it just, it was just a slow book. It doesn't mean it was bad in any way. It just was slow, but, um, I'm really glad I read it. She's a very good writer and it just, it was some very interesting perspective about, you know, having cancer and what that's like. So, um, I recommend it. Well, that's good. Yeah. Is there anything that's sort of on your radar that you're looking forward to? Um, 
I have a gazillion books on my radar that I'm looking forward to. Um, so tell us about one. Yeah. I'm trying to think, um, what is a book that's on my radar? Um, hmm. well, I will tell you that I did some book swaps over the course of the last week mm-hmm. and I ended up with the lost apothecary, which I think you and I were maybe going to swap, but I now have it. So we don't need to, although I'm happy to send you the book. I was going to swap for it. But based on your review from the last time we talked, I'm really excited about that one. Okay. So you're up for so a little yeah, dual time period, historical. Yeah. Yeah. That one showed up in my mailbox the other day. So I'm excited about that. It's also a book I'm trying to get my hands on, which you're going to roll your eyes and laugh at me <laughs> for wanting this so badly. But Andrew McCarthy has a new memoir out called Brat, mm-hmm. and it's about you know, being in the brat pack and yeah. And I'm dying to get my hands on that. Oh, Gail, I would never judge you for going after an (laughs) 80s book. I know it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So I really want that book and I really want it on audio too, because I'm sure he's going to narrate it. He's just wanting to prune it in your ear. (laughs) Well, I've heard it's really good. Um, I read... Uh, T, um, do you know, Tina Reed? She's like one of the old school bloggers. Uh-huh. Um, she and I are Facebook friends and she read it a couple weeks ago and she said it was great. So, uh, it's, and I don't think it's due out in for another month or two. So it's not out yet. If it were out, I would just go buy it, but I would really like to read it. So that is it. And then I've read some other ones, but I'll save those for future episodes. And and another attempt to snap me out of the reading slump, I just picked up a thriller too. Ooh. And I'm already like 60 pages in after, you know, like two hours or okay, one hour. Okay, you have to tell us what the thriller is. Oh, it's Confessions on the 745. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I, I think I talked about that at the end of last year. I was excited about it. So I yeah, just picked it up. I read it because you talked about it and I loved it. Oh, I didn't remember that you'd read it. That's exciting. Okay, good. So we yeah. can talk about that on the next show. It was one of my, like, this is a really, really good read. Oh, good. It's a little, right now there's a lot of characters. There's a lot of women to right. keep track of. Yeah. But I think, I, I think I'm up to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in book news, um, Beverly Cleary died. So sad. She was 104. I know. She was 104, but man, like what a... I think what everybody got so many childhoods, you books, know? right? Yeah. I was reading my, just going through Facebook yesterday and people were posting quotes and being like, this was me. Like, I'm sure there were quotes from Ramona, but they were like, this woman defined my childhood. And, you know, I got this haircut because of Ramona and like, just it's so <laughs> sweet. It's just Did nice your girls to see, like, read Ramona? Yeah. Yeah, they read Ramona, Ramona the Pest, Beezus and Ramona. <laughs> um, some of her other ones. I'm not, I can't remember the names of all the other ones that we read that were also by Beverly Cleary, but the Ramona ones stuck out the most. And then we saw the movie with Heather, was it Heather Graham? Did she play Beezus? Mm, Somebody played I don't Beezus. Know. I, I think I read maybe the first Ramona book, but I did not go, like, I didn't read anything else than that. And I was pretty young. I don't really remember it. Oh, no. I'm sorry. It wasn't Heather Graham. It was Selena Gomez. She plays Beezus. Oh. Yeah. Ramona's sister. Yeah. Her older sister. Is it her sister or her 
yeah, her sister. I think her name's Beatrice, but Ramona can't say that, so she calls her Jesus. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. That's such a cute. It's such a cute series. Yeah, there was just such an outpouring, like you said, people writing comments, people taken back to their childhood or how they relate. You know how she helped them. So yeah, it was nice to see her so celebrated. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think I, of course, I had not thought anything about her. I wasn't even, did not even know she was still alive. She was like one of those people like, oh, really? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And of course she's 104. Yeah. So, all right. So let's get into our infidelity books. We're going to call this episode, or I tagged it when I sent you the uh, recording setup. I just called it unfaithful. And I went through and tried to pick out books where the infidelity is a driver of some of the events of the novel. And I went back probably five or six years looking for infidelity books because I wanted some good ones, maybe that we have not discussed recently or just, you know, I mean, a good book is a good book. So I really wanted to cast the, the net wide. I think a lot of the thrillers especially the domestic thrillers have some element of infidelity in them. But even as I was going back, I did find a decent amount, but it's not like I found like 50 or anything like that. So, and as I was thinking about this topic, like I came across something that just talked about the most time that, or the most likely time that people cheat is on Fridays or after work happy hours, which makes a lot of sense. Fueled by alcohol. Yeah. Most major decisions or catastrophes in life are, you know, being with someone you didn't necessarily want to be with, you know, decisions, you go back to your ex that one more time because you're drunk, the drunk calls. Um, infidelity, you know, probably someone that you are not even thinking about may not have acted on, but you're at drinks at happy hour and it's just your inhibitions float away. Yes, for sure. So what was your first book? All right. So, well, and I did the same thing that you did. I tried to pick books that, um, the infidelity plays a, you know, big central role I also cast a wide net. In fact, one of my books goes back to 2005. I hmm. just looked on Amazon at it and it said, you purchased this book in 2005. <laughs> so I know it goes back a long 16 way. 16 years ago. Yes. Um, and some of these, you know, the affair or the infidelity is like romantic and in some ways like a positive thing. In some ways it is, you know, obsessive and in some, in some of them it's, you know, catastrophic. So I, yeah, so they're all like lots of different flavors of infidelity in here. Um, all right. I'm going to kick it off with one that I've talked about very recently. This is the, definitely the most recent one that I read, but it was the first one that came to mind for me, which was 28 Summers by Elin Hillebrand. And I've talked about this a lot, so I won't get too much into the plot. It's about a, 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 couple who reunite every year on Labor Day and spend the weekend together, but they're not together in real life and they have other relationships and 
other, you know, children and things. And this goes on for 28 years. And this is a super romantic book. And in this one, you root for the couple to be together. So you, you sort of excuse them what they're doing and you're, you're wishing and hoping that it might work out for them to be a permanent thing in the end. And so it's it absolutely a central driver of the plot. In fact, it is the whole plot. It is the 28 Labor Day weekends that they spend together that this book revolves around. And I, of, of all the books I picked, this is probably the, the sunniest. And um, it's also the one where the behavior is most excusable, I guess. But um, I love this book and I just, I just think it's a great, it's a great story. And the infidelity is like obviously the huge, hugest part of it. Right. Good. I may have to give that one a go. So I read this book over the summer. It was one that I read slowly. Uh, it's called The Margot Affair by Sinead Lemoine. And it is about the daughter of a French politician. Like her mother is not the woman that he is married to. He has another family, but he's always openly lived with them, like in secret, or she knows that her father is married. She knows about the other family, but I think it's not real to her until one day she and her mom are out at lunch and her mother sees the wife and it kicks off something where Margot is the girl's name, the love child's name. It kicks off this house of cards. You know, it's the summer of her 17th birthday and she meets a journalist whom she decides to share her story with. The fact that she is a love child of this politician. So it's all about the aftermath of that. You know, like she gets involved with this journalist, gets to know his girlfriend. So there are several layers of infidelity in here and, and things to, to, uh, to ponder. Now, I really enjoyed this book. Like, I, I want to say I enjoyed it in hindsight, like the layers. I think everything becomes apparent. It's one of those books that most things become apparent as you approach the end of it. And I feel like the more distance you have, because it, it brings you back to thinking about certain points and, you know, Margot's relationship with the journalist and how it's a catalyst for a lot of things that happen in her life, you know, some where she gets to stand on her own ground, somewhere she confronts the relationship that she has with her mother, which is her mom is a difficult woman. Like she's an artist and she has maintained this relationship where her daughter only has access to her father a couple of days a week or sometimes not even that. So lots of complex issues, but it, it moves very slowly. So this is not a book that you will power through. It's really good if you want something more slow and thoughtful and something that that may keeps you bring it um it brings you back to the story like there'll there'll be times that I will start to think about and ponder some of the concepts mentioned or you know 
the things they discuss as Margot makes a weighty decision concerning all of their lives, like why she would do that, what are the benefits, you know, what secret things maybe that she got that she wasn't willing to admit to herself when she set some things in motion. So Hmm. I have this book. I'm intrigued by it. Not for while you're in your reading slump though. Okay. (laughs) All right. Good to know. (laughs) Cause as you started talking, I was like, Oh, maybe I'll go pick that book up next. But it sounds like now may not be the best time for it. Well, I mean, like you said, it took you a while to get through some books and some books are just slower and more thoughtful. And sometimes when you're in a reading slump, and you want something, you know, I think you kind of want to get back on the saddle and feel accomplished. Like, like I read this book over a few months. It was not like my usual, oh yeah, I read this in two or three days. Got it. Okay. All right. So my next book is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum from 28 Summers. This is called Housefrau by Jill Alexander Esbaum. And this is a book about a woman who is like basically like psychologically addicted to having sex with random men, even though she's married and has children. And she um, lives in Switzerland. She lives in Zurich and lives this very like kind of regimented lifestyle. Her husband is a banker and he's very, you know, uh, not very expressive, not very emotional. He's, you know, very precise. She lives in a place where the trains run on time and everything is, you know, goes by the, by the minute. And she is American and she just feels like, you know, not in her element. She's an expat. She doesn't really speak the language and she doesn't really have an interest in learning the language. So she's very, feels very isolated. So the way that she deals with this is to, you know, seek out men and have affairs with them. And the problem is that she like mires herself in these relationships with these men. And then they want to, you know, pursue her and see her. And she's sort of like leading this increasingly complicated web of lies in her life and constantly having to cover up like where she was and get coverage for her kids and all this stuff. Um, And at the same time, she's also seeing a psychologist, psychiatrist who's analyzing her. So there's a lot of kind of traditional psychiatric analysis and theory that's weaved through the book. I didn't love that part because it gets a little bit um, in a lot too intellectual for my taste when it comes to like Jungian philosophy and, you know, Freudian. I just, I don't know, that part got a little slow for me. Um, but the other parts of her acting out these impulses and this kind of addiction that she has is sort of adrenaline fueled and very like intense. So it's not a light read at all. It gets to some very dark places because she is, has such a conflicted relationship, like with herself almost like she's got such, you know, self-loathing, but yet she can't stop what she's doing. And it's this addiction that propels her forward. So it's, is this a heavy book? I I wouldn't recommend it to everyone, but if, you know, if it sounds interesting, I I would pick it up. The, um, the hardcover, the original hardcover also had one of the most beautiful covers on it I've ever seen. So it was always nice to look at the cover of the book when I was in between. I've noticed on uh, Amazon that 
maybe with this is the paperback is definitely not as appealing as the hardcover. And I, I remember, remember when you read Ausfrau. Yeah. Did I did it also on audio. I was going to say, did you listen to it? Yeah. I mean, I think I probably did a little back and forth between the audio and the print. Um, and the audio was really good. It was a very good narrator and, um, it was, it was good. Um, Amazon describes this as Anna Karenina goes 50 shades with a side of Madame Bovary. Oh yeah. (laughs) It's, uh, an unforgettable story of marriage, fidelity, sex, morality, and most importantly, self. I think I had that book floating around. It has that floral. Yeah. The purple floral cover. Like paisley like cover. Yeah. It's very pretty. Oh, okay. So you've kind of put that on, on back on my radar. Okay. Good. Hausfrau. Hausfrau. All right. What's your next one? So my next one is Syracuse by Delia Efron. And I'm sure I mentioned this book a couple of years ago when I read it because I was really taken with it. It's about these two couples who decide to vacation together in, I believe, Italy. Uh, and they one couple takes their young daughter with them. So it is told from different perspectives. Like there is infidelity between the two couples on this trip. And it sets them up to like these two families are never going to be the same again. It's like one of those things you are, you have this couple that you feel like you get along with, your tastes are similar. Uh, One is a famous writer, one is a journalist, you know, they're like very accomplished people. And those are the opposite couple that kind of become attracted to each other on this trip and act on that attraction. And it just, it, has devastating consequences for this this group in Italy. And Syracuse is actually the name of the place, like the town in Italy. I think it's not too far from Sicily. So it has the added element of just being told in, you know, it's in Italy. So you have that environment of the vacation and the things that they're seeing while they're sightseeing as this flirtation between the couples is unfolding, you know, the, the opposite couples is unfolding. Plus they, you know, have strangely brought the daughter along. So of course she is playing a role in what is unfolding, you know, as, as these secrets and lies and infidelities are just hanging in the air. So I really like that one. I, I need to like Delia Ephra. I really like Syracuse. I always think of it when I think of summer books for whatever reason, maybe because they're vacationing. And I think something about the richness and the indolence and, you know, the people blowing their lives apart is just beach read material, just sit there and get so involved in something else or someone else's life and problems. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I really love this book. So like I said, I need to figure out what else she wrote because, you know, I really like that one. And I think, did she, I'm not sure which of the Efron sisters passed away. So I'm not sure if it's her. Nora. Okay. So she has a bunch of books that it looks like I can take a look at and, and maybe find something, find something for the summer coming up. All right. So my next one is The Body in Question by Jill Cement. And I read this one a couple years ago. 
this is about um, a jury who is sequestered for a murder trial. I love this book. Yes. Was this on your list too? No. That's funny. Okay. You know, it's funny as as I go, th- as we go through our lists, you know, to look for books, what jumps out at us as having infidelity. Right. Because I don't, you know, I remember the court case. I remember the book very well. And I remember the relationship, but yes, she is married. Yes. Well, so there's two jurors who end up starting an affair while the trial is unfolding and they're stuck in this Econo Lodge in Florida. And they, um, you know, they are not supposed to be fraternizing in that way from the perspective of the jury, not to mention the fact that she's married to an older man, but she is married. And um, what I thought was so good about this book was the meticulous way that the author sort of um, depicts the, the unfolding of this relationship and how realistic it feels. Like it's like she's, it's very realistic characters. The dialogue is realistic. The situations, you can really picture them and you can see, you can kind of watch them playing out. You can see how this would have happened. And then of course they are discovered and, you know, what happens to them after they're discovered and, you know, how does this impact the trial? How does this impact their lives? And, you know, here's one of those, like, you know, infidelity leads to like great catastrophe, which is probably the case in like pretty much all of the books that we're (laughs) talking about on this list, the possible exception of 28 summers. Um, so I, I just thought this one was really good. And I did this one on audio. The audio was great. And, uh, this definitely popped out to me when we started talking about this topic. Yeah. And as you remi- remind me of the details of this, I am struck anew about like the devastation that this relationship in particular caused. All right. What's your next one? I'm trying to look for something that I haven't mentioned a lot or that is infidelity in a different way. So Meet Me at the Museum by Anne Youngson is about this woman who, her name is Tina. As she, when she was a little girl, she had visited this museum that had on display like this sort of bog creature man, you know, like something that was really ancient that no one could really explain. She has lots of questions about it and she strikes up a correspondence. Like she writes the scientist who gave the talk to her and her friends about this creature or this, this ancient man. And she grows up and she decides that she has more questions about this science trip that she took when she was younger. So she writes to the museum where she first experienced seeing this But of course, you know, the scientist was older. He's no longer working there. In fact, I don't think he's alive any longer. But a museum uh, curator who works there tries to answer her questions. And he's lonely and she's kind of lonely. So they start this epic correspondence and then it stops. And Tina doesn't hear from Anders anymore. And... Now I'm trying to think if it was the opposite, but one of them, the correspondence stops, they don't hear from it. And it's like become their lifeline. Like they talk about their family, they talk about their friends. So while the infidelity isn't physical, it's more like that emotional infidelity. 
And they go on a search for each other to discover just what happened when the letters stopped coming. And it was really good. And it was a, it was a true epistolary novel. You know how some of them, the letters are scattered or whatever, but this was just, you know, whatever, whatever date, hey, you, and the letter. So it was completely told through their letters. And it's a really beautiful story. Right. So I like that you're picking something that's not physical. Yeah. Cause that emotional fidelity, infidelity will get you as well. It can get you into a ton of trouble. Lots of dimensions to this topic that, you know, it doesn't have to be just like some steamy affair full of sex. Right. Yeah. No, these were letters about their lives, things that were unfolding with their family, just thoughts and dreams that they had not been able to express to other people. So as you can imagine, that gets really, can get really intimate. All right. So my next book is really about the aftermath of an affair. It is called Couple Mechanics and it is by Nellie Allard, A-L-A-R-D. And this is a French book. It came out probably about six years ago or five years ago. And it is about a couple with two kids that live in Paris and the husband has had an affair. And so it's really about the aftermath and how the wife deals with this discovery and kind of the, the months immediately afterwards. And it's very detailed. So it's kind of all of the ins and outs because the woman that he's had an affair with is not like letting go easily. So she's continuing to text him and call him and she's continuing to intrude on the marriage between Olivier and Juliet. That's the married couple. And Juliet is sort of going cycling through all of the emotions that one would expect, anger, despair, you know, desperation to keep her marriage together. Um, and she starts sort of cycles through them like every day and throughout the book. So the book is very, um, it's very much of like an emotional odyssey. Like you go through all of these emotions with her and you see all of the minutia of it. So it's, it's not like a, a fast, you know, pass through this. It's a lot of detail and you kind of have to want to like, you have to commit to this book that you're like, all right, I want to like get into this and like follow the chronology and the, the ongoing saga of what's going on. But I thought it was very good. And I like that the, the author kind of like, she's kind of has it in for the husband because of what he did. And so she depicts him really badly. And, um, you know, she just, doesn't miss anything, like no detail, no nothing. So it's like, like roadkill. You can't look away. So did you feel like this one engaged you right away? Since you said it's something that you're, it's kind of tough. You have to commit to getting through it. Oh yeah. Was it intriguing enough from the beginning that gave you that motivation? Yeah, for sure. Okay. It it was told like in real time. Like that's what I mean by, I don't mean like it's a commitment, like you've got to invest a lot of time to get into it. I just mean like, you have to want to see this unfold in real time. And Mm -hmm. some people might be like, oh my God, this is like, it's too either depressing or it's too, um, uh, like, I don't know. Like I said, it was like a first class ticket to someone else's train wreck. So -hmm. you have to want to look at a train wreck. Right. But if you do like it's, it pays off big time. I don't know. As as readers, don't aren't we always looking at someone's train wreck? I mean, I someone's am. fictional <laughs> train wreck. I, yeah, that's why I like this book a lot. 
Yeah, it was good. How, what was the time period again? Uh, Like, you mean, how much time does it cover? Right. I don't think a lot. How long is the train wreck? Yeah, I think it's just the immediate aftermath. I Like, I almost, it's been a long time since I read this. I read it in 2015, but I would say, I think they go on vacation or something, like right after this happens. So maybe it's just the course of a couple weeks, Mm -hmm. if even. I don't know. That's a good question. It's definitely been a long time. I picked this book up at Book Expo in, at, at um, Speed Dating in 2015. How and it was like one of the first that? things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was probably one of those like sitting on the table. And then I, it was like the first book I read when I opened my book box mm-hmm. for BEA. I don't know what something, I just looks like on a whim. Oh, you know maybe, what I mean? I'm like a right. total mood reader. Um, and so like it hit at the mi- the minute that I needed a new book, this book, this particular book fit the bill. And so mm-hmm. I read it. So that was called Couple Mechanics by Nellie Allard. So a couple of things I want to mention before I get into what my next book, Confessions on the 745, which Gail, you're reading now, it, it's, you know, it starts off with this woman who suspects that her husband is cheating on her. And then she meets this woman on the train and things unfold from there. So I've talked about it a lot on the show. Gail's reading it now, but just wanted to point that out. Something recent that we've read is our last book club book, His Only Wife. Um, Deals a lot with infidelity, even though it's arranged infidelity and sort of something that the bride suspected before she got into it, but her reaction to it as she is involved with this man who she would like to make her own. Uh, So there's that. I'm trying to think what else recently that we've discussed that has an element of infidelity. Stay With Me by Ayobami Adebayo. Uh, It's about this couple, this I think they're a Nigerian couple who get married, but they have decided to be committed to each other. They agree that polygamy is not anything that they want to explore. It's just going to be the two of them. They have agreed. And, but four years into the marriage, his wife still is not pre- pregnant. I think it's Yejidi and Akim. And so the family decides that he needs to take a second wife because he needs to have an heir. And it's all about what, what ensues from that, because this is not something that they are on board with. And the wife, especially, uh, Yejide is, has real problems with this, but I think he feels that he has to he has to yield to his family since they have tried it this way and they're having fertility problems. So that book spun into such interesting directions that I did not even expect from reading the, you know, reading the blurb about it. So yeah, there's some twists in that one. Right. So that was just another one that I wanted to mention briefly. Yeah, this one, I'm not sure. I'm not going to mention the book's name because there's infidelity in it, but I'm not quite sure whether I would consider it a spoiler or not. So let's just err on the side of I'm not going to mention it. But those are just a couple. Um, the Next also by Stephanie Ganji that both Gail and I read. Ooh, yeah. 
is about a woman who has a younger lover and he leaves her, like he's been cheating on her and he leaves her and he gets married to someone else and she's sick and she dies. And it's all about just what a vengeful ghost she is. Revenge. (laughs) She is going to mess with his life. She's just like decided that this is her mission in the afterlife. And I thought that was, it was like a really interesting take on infidelity. I mean, I think there's very few books that the main character dies almost immediately and then spends her time hunting down, you know, the speckless young lover who has decided to get married and just leave her in the lurch. All right. What is your next one for this episode? My next one, and I picked this because it was a totally weird book. So if you like weird books, I would say you should read it. I mean, I really like Ian McEwan novels, but this one was just so strange. Uh, It's called Nutshell. And it's basically, I want to say that it's a retelling of Hamlet. Hamlet is the one where the wife is cheating and then a ghost haunts, I think. I'm trying to remember my Shakespeare. God, it's been so long since I I think that that's the plot of Hamlet. And I think that this is loosely, loosely based on Hamlet in the fact that the the son who has to avenge um, his father's death is a fetus. So this is all told from the perspective of a child who has not been born and his mother is cheating on his father with his uncle. I do think that's Hamlet. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, So it's all about how the fetus is trying to, I guess, nudge his mother or thinking about ways that he might warn his father. And it's all about this infidelity unfolding from, you know, this unborn child's perspective. But it's definitely an, it's an interesting take. Like I said, this will not be up everyone's alley. I read it and it was just kind of like, okay. I mean, the good thing about it is that it's not very long. It's, um, I don't know, it's like 130, 150 pages. Maybe you would even call it more of a novella. But I was intrigued because I really liked Ian McEwan. Not quite sure on the execution. It was a bit of a weird book, but just because it had such a different angle on infidelity, I figured I would mention it. Hmm. I like that different angle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So my next one is also really old. It's from 2004 and it's actually before I started blogging. So this is um, Little Children by Tom Parada. And I read the book and I've also seen the movie. So I feel like my combined memory of this, it comes from both sources, um, both source material. But this is a book about suburbia, like all of Tom Parada's novels. And it's about a couple who, um, there was two couples and then the wife of one and the husband of the other start to have an affair. So they, it lasts a whole summer and I don't, I won't get into too much detail about, you know, what happens to them and what happens at the end of the summer, but they basically sort of are each dealing with their own boredom with their suburban life. No one sends up suburban parenthood better than Tom Parada. And this is like the quintessential Tom Parada novel. And, um, 
it just kind of takes you through the summer and you can really just feel like the humidity as they're at this, the swimming pool. I think it takes place. Um, I think they live outside of Boston and you just, I don't know, it feels so realistic. And this movie, it's, it was a movie with Kate Winslet and I forgot who played the man. His name is Todd. I forgot who it was, but, uh, it was a really good movie too. So it's just, if you like your infidelity suburban style, I would recommend this one. So I think I like my infidelity vacation style. So Mm, my next one came out in 2014. I think, Gail, you read it. You didn't like it as much as I liked it. I think a lot of people didn't. It's like got a 2.84 on Goodreads. So that's The Lemon Grove by Helen Walsh. And it is about this family who goes on vacation, Jen and Greg, and they take their daughter, their teenage daughter and her boyfriend come along with them on this vacation uh, in Mallorca, in Spain. So I think the couple is in their 40s. And for whatever reason, the wife, Jen, develops this huge crush on her daughter's or her stepdaughter's boyfriend. And they begin this just inexplicable affair while the family is on vacation. So she is just kind of caught between, I guess, morality and what, you know, just knowing the devastating consequences that this can have to her family, but just for whatever reason, cannot stop herself, which is, I think, one of the things that a lot of readers struggled with, with this is just that, you know, I think the daughter might've been 17 and her boyfriend is probably just as young. He's 17 and she's 15. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah. And so the wife is in her early forties. So there is that just inexplicable component to it. Um, But I thought it was really interesting and it was said in Mallorca. So I don't know what it is about Mallorca. Lots of books of the sort of like families behaving badly on vacation seem to happen in Mallorca. Right. Don't go to Mallorca, Gail. <laughs> Although it's like, it, I found it super intriguing. I remember after my most recent Mallorca read, it must've been like two years ago, we were planning a trip to Spain and I was like, we have to go to Mallorca and it's super <laughs> inconvenient. Like you have to you know, it's like a boat and then you have to get there and it's not like the place where it's, so it's not accessible. It's not accessible. And it's also not, it's not like you're leaving from someplace you want to spend time. Like you have to get to the access point and then go like, it just, I don't know. I was trying all these like permutations to be like, we need to go to Mallorca. And it was all because I've read like so many books that take place. Is that where the vacationers takes place? I feel like it is because I know what you mean. I I do feel like um, marriages go to Mallorca in fiction to die or to explode. Okay. Well, now I'm glad we didn't go to Mallorca, but <laughs> I yeah, said in I just, fiction. <laughs> in fiction. Yes. Okay. Thank you. That's where um, they go. I, I do feel like I've read at least three books where they go to Mallorca. That's so right? funny. So it's funny because they say it's set on the rugged mountainous West coast of Mallorca. And you said it's like really hard to get to. And I remember going to, when I went to Ibiza, just finding different beaches that you literally have to like hike up mountains or just these really rocky hills. You know, you spend like 20 minutes just going up and up. And then 
descending onto the beach. Like there's some really nice beaches that are just pure beach. Like there's only like people selling empanadas and drinks. And that's about the only thing. And this woman came around with bathing suits and it's just like you there with your book and people, which is really great. But when they say rugged and mountainous, you really do have to, you earn your beach time. Yeah. All right. So I think I'm up to my last one. Okay. All right. So my last one is The Silent Wife. Oh, I was going to mention that one. Yeah. Oh, was this one of your main ones or was just one that you were going to talk about? No, I I had just thought about it because it wasn't on my list. But then as we were having this conversation, I was thinking, oh yeah, The Silent Wife. So glad you brought it up because I can just do another one. Okay, good. All right. So The Silent Wife is by A.S.A. Harrison. And it is a book about a married couple or a couple at least in Chicago. And he is having an affair with his best friend's daughter. And he is increasingly needing to get out of his marriage because he thinks he wants to be with the daughter. But then, you know, it comes out that he's having this affair. And so just, it's, it's kind of the, the, the messy, um, sort of playing out of what happens between these two. It's really like more of a thriller than it is a novel. It's, you know, it's not, it's not super literary. It's, it's, there's some twists and turns and, you know, ways that she wants to get back at him and, and there's deceit and there's, you know, this, sense of impending doom. You just know this is not going to end well. And you know that from the beginning. And so how you get to the point where it does not end well is what, you know, is kind of the ride of the book. So this was like, I, I, it was funny. I couldn't remember the name of this book last night. I could vaguely remember the fact pattern, but couldn't remember the name. So I was kind of Googling around until it came up. And I mean, this is really just like a thriller, which has, an infidelity element to it, but it was a good one. And I liked it. I remember you liked it too. So I wanted to include it on the list. Yes, definitely. So my last book, I just want to briefly mention Adele because that's all about Mm. infidelity. It's Layla Slimani's fiction book about this woman who has a sex addiction. Like she's a successful journalist and happily married you know, I guess as happily married as you can be if you have a sex addiction. And she is raising, I don't know if they have a daughter or a son. So just wanted to mention that briefly. She always writes really interesting novels that I have a hard time pinpointing if I really like them as opposed to like the issues that you think about when you read them. So on my last one is this book that I really loved and talked about a lot. It's The Two Lila Bennett's by Liz Fenton and Lisa Stinky. And it is about a criminal defense attorney who, whose bad choices, they say, have finally caught up with her. Like she is sleeping with her boss. She's having a crisis of conscience about the type of work that she does. And then she is kidnapped and taken hostage where we start to, we're given two versions of her life and we're not sure which one it is. You know, she's like being kept, she's been traumatized, she's not eating. She's trying to figure out who could possibly want to ruin her life. 
And she has also, even before this happened, like she had just been on the brink of calling off her affair and getting her life together, but now someone is holding her captive and they clearly mean her harm. So getting herself out of the situation is really based on figuring out, you know, is this an ex-client who's just disgruntled or is this a result of her infidelity or she's not sure what is going on, but she's just combing through her life. And in one, she's locked up. In another, she's trying to make different choices and you're just not quite sure which one is real. So it's a little bit of a sliding doors, like a thrillery sliding sliding doors. And I really liked it. I still have that one on my shelf. I still want to read it. So if you are looking for some books about infidelity, and I wonder how this episode will do, because I know some people are just not interested in infidelity books. Like I remember my talking with a friend, we had read this Emily Giffen book and she was just so put off by the couple getting together because initially there had been some cheating going on. So and it's not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right. So we have the the next round of March Madness coming up to discuss now. Okay. So we are now down to the Elite Eight. We started with 16 books. We did eight different pairs last time. And now we're going to do four more pairs, which will get us down to the final four. So... Why don't we just jump right into our first pair, just to remind everybody what the criteria are that Nicole and I are using to discuss these books and these pairings. Um, Asking ourselves, did the book make you think? Do we know what the author was trying to accomplish? Would you read the book again? And did it make a long lasting impact on you? So these are the questions that are guiding us as we're evaluating what should move ahead. And we have some hard matchups this time. They're really hard. (laughs) Really hard. Okay. So our first one is Sing Unburied Sing by Mm. Jessamyn Ward and The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. This is going to be a tough one. It is. Do you have a gut pick? I do have a gut pick and it is guided by the two questions, the second of the, the, the third and the fourth questions, the, this, the second half of the questions, my gut pick. Well, let me ask you, do you have one as well? I do. Okay. My gut pick is sing unburied sing. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tell me why that's your gut pick. I think that there's something about Sing Unburied Sing that made it that Jasmine Ward really made these characters so accessible and undeniably human, real, rootable. I think the job that she did with the mom, especially someone who really could have been an unlikable, who is an unlikable character, you know, she is uh, on drugs. She is involved with someone who is in prison. She is a black woman, you know, in a relationship with a white man in Mississippi. And a lot of her needs or the lack of her needs being fulfilled, she takes out on one of her children, especially, even though both of them suffer. 
And just the fact that you can kind of understand that you can even begin to understand where she's coming from and have empathy for her, I thought was amazing. I thought the way that she weaved in the stories of the different generations, like all of the generations play a big role in this. And, you know, I think that there's something intriguing, Sing Unburied Sing, you know, is like about hearing these voices from the past and how she can, how there's this atmosphere of the past that weighs heavily on this family and is always present. Yeah, for me, I agree with everything you said. And I think that for me, it came down to, would you read it again? And did it make a long lasting impact on you? The Nickel Boys for sure made a long lasting impact on me. There's no question. And I remember it well. And I think about it fairly frequently. And it's just such a devastating and just like impactful book, impactful read. But for me, this was a more enjoyable read. Like I would definitely pick this one up again, whereas I can't imagine I would pick up the Nickel Boys again, unless I had to, for some reason. Um, This one, I feel like I could read it again and find new things in it. I would sort of pick up different um, nuances in the relationships, in the interactions. Um, It just, it, it would... I think, I think a reread would actually enhance it. Yeah. And, um, you know, in some ways they deal with some similar themes about racism and unequal treatment of white and black people. And I mean, the God, the nickel boys is harrowing more. Yeah. Harrowing, more devastating. Both books, you kind of have a feeling of dread throughout, although it's, it's worse in the nickel boys, but it's, I feel it in this one too. Um, but it's just, as far as the the types of books that I like to read and the types of books that, you know, make their mark on me, this one wins out. I agree. I would agree with advancing sing unburied sing. I, I do think that the nickel boys is worth a reread and that it is layered you know, all things being equal, I think that the artistry and the artistry of Sing Unburied Sing too tips me over like in the way that it is more enjoyable. And there's just, there's so much there. Uh, I think the Nickel Boys is a little bit more contained because we are talking about it's like the different boys who have experienced that institution. And of course they're concentrating on two and their relationship to each other. And also the relationship of family, you know, with his grandmother, but yeah, there's just something a little bit more epic and all encompassing about Sing Unburied Sing that I would advance and reward. Mm-hmm. So not too bad. Not too bad. Wow. We made it through in the first one. (laughs) Unscathed. We're still speaking to each other. Right. Okay. Our next matchup is Long Bright River versus A Woman Is No Man. So Long Bright River by Liz Moore and A Woman Is No Man by A Tough Room. This is not a hard call for me. Mm -hmm. And that's not a surprise given that 
the last time we the, in the first round, I would probably, I was very conflicted about advancing a woman is no man. So for me, it's long, bright river. I think that, I mean, they both deal with weighty issues for sure. They both deal with, you know, women. Um, well, there's not a lot of commonality between them. A woman is no man is about a Palestinian woman living in the U S in a very repressive life with an abusive, difficult husband. She's got four daughters. So she feels hopeless about their future. She feels hopeless about her own future. She's, you know, just trapped in this life and live in living in like current day, New York suburban or not suburban. She lives in, where does she live? Brooklyn. Brooklyn. So, you know, it's, it's really bleak. And, um, I, my issue with a woman is no man is I didn't like the writing that much. I found it very repetitive and like, it it was like trying to bash you over the head with it. Long Bright River, which is a literary police thriller about a woman living in Philadelphia who her beat is kind of a, some tough neighborhoods in Philadelphia where there's been a rash of prostitutes who have been killed. And it's about drug addiction, violence against women. It's also a family drama because um, her sister is an addict. So while she's investigating these crimes, she's also trying to find her missing sister. She's a single mother. This book, I literally could not put down. And I mentioned that on the last show, just how addicted I became to this book. And I thought the, the peeling back of the layers of this book was brilliant. And the way the story got teased out so slowly, but like um, with each layer, you learned more about this woman's life and you kind of go back into like more secrets and, and history. It just, it was so compelling to me. And so for me, I would definitely advance Long Bright River. I think Long Bright River is was a more enjoyable read because it had a thr- that thriller aspect. I also thought that there were just some aspects of it and the reveals that they were surprising, but some of them were a little bit of a stretch for me. Uh, it did not take away from my enjoyment of the book. I thought the way she blended the literary and the thriller elements was like you said, really compelling and just, you know, wanting to know what, how these two women, these two sisters who have very, taken very different paths in life are going to, if they're able to, you know, if they can be saved, if they can reconcile their relationship, um, you know, can they heal their family? Uh, we just, we felt differently about the writing for a woman no is no man just because i think it's purposeful i just think when i like to think about long lasting like in 5 years which one would i gravitate to or which one would i think would be really relevant so like you said they both deal with the mistreatment of women a woman is no man is like cultural difference and just how different your life can be when you're living in a big modern city and how some people just don't have that experience at all, don't really get to leave the house. 
I thought the book had to be claustrophobic and repetitive because it was just about like the madness of, of the same not being able to have anything different in your life, like the escalating violence of your husband and not having resources to figure things out in a different way because there's a language barrier, because you're being so watched all the time by both his family and him when they know what's going on. So I don't know. I mean, to say that Long, I mean, Long Bright River is definitely sort of in a sense lighter in the fact that it allows you more space to breathe. It has more spaces. You know, you visit her family. She's at the police precinct. It's a very dynamic novel. These are, these two are hard to compare. I would advance a woman is no man though. Hmm. Okay. So let's take it step by step. Number one. So are there any points that you would concede if we read the criteria again or just read the criteria again? Let me see if there's any points that I I would concede. I think like, does the book make you think like, I mean, I think, I think that the issues are perhaps more universal in a woman is no man, or they affect a greater swath of the world than long bright river. You know, they're about oppression of women um, cultural oppression of women, which is obviously a huge issue in many, many countries and many regions and religions and cultures and all of that. Whereas Long Bright River is more situational, I feel like. Um, I think though, for me, it would tip me again, like the first matchup we had this, the, the back half of our questions tip me much more strongly in favor of Long Bright River. Cause I just didn't enjoy a woman is no man. As a book, I didn't like it. Whereas Long Bright River was like top five for me. Right. But we're not talking about whether we like it. Right. I know. So putting aside that you like it or that it was enjoyable. Just I mean, based I guess, on the criteria. Yeah. I mean, I guess I can say with Long Bright River you know, what was she trying to accomplish? And there is throughout the entire book, there is this theme of the ways in which women are mis, uh, you know, mistreated, the way they are dismissed, the way they are undermined, the way they are, um, you know, not set up for success, the way men are, you know, whether you're talking about the police department or you're talking about, um, economic instability. Um, you know, so that I, you know, while it may not be as universal or it may not be feel as kind of momentous as a woman is no man. I feel like there's a big part of that there. I guess, I mean, I enjoyed long bright river. I don't think that I've thought about the characters as I did a woman is no man, just like the options that this woman had for her children, you know, for herself, like starting out thinking that you're going to have a much different life and opportunity and everyone congratulating you. And you get to a place where it seems like you had less freedom in some respects than you did before. It's inescapable. And like, there's this inescapable violence and there is the monotony of 
a day that always has to be the same where you don't even get a chance to go outside. I think I think about a woman is no man a lot more than I think about Long Bright River. I mean, Long Bright River, there's something about, like I said, there was a couple of things about the thrillery part of it. Uh, not to say that it di- it diminishes the book. I mean, I think it's appropriate for the type of book it is. But I guess what we have is pure literary fiction going against a hybrid. And I think that with thrillers, there is always like this, a little bit of element of disbelief that there wasn't in A Woman Is No Man. For me. Yeah. I hear you. Let's move on. Let's do the other two pairings because if we have to ask our listeners once again to help us out. We only want to do it for one pairing. Yeah. So let's see if we can resolve the other two. Okay. So the next two are My Dark Vanessa by Kate Elizabeth Russell and In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. You want to take a stab at this one? Uh, For me, just off the top of my head, I would think that I would... This is hard because this is fiction against nonfiction. Uh, And my dark Vanessa was very good. I think what hurts my dark Vanessa for me might be the length a little bit. In the dream house was just, I just feel like she had put together a masterpiece of oppression against women, oppression against women in relationships, even if it is a lesbian relationship. Like I just learned so much about different court cases. I love the way she inter, I love the way film analysis was interwoven. I mean, I just think that this book was so special in the way that it was accomplished, you know, like to have this theme of the dream house as a relationship, even though the house is kind of nightmarish to have it represent that and to delve into what the different perspectives were. My Dark Vanessa is just a much more straightforward narrative. Uh, Still, I think there are masterful elements about it because we're just now getting to a point that I think people are looking at the more complex relationships that the people who actually experience these types of relationships, how they view what the struggle is in terms of maybe how they've always seen themselves and what part of seeing yourself not as a victim is like a survival instinct. Uh, Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think my dark Vanessa, there is... Yeah, it comes back to what like what I think will stand the test of time. I think my dark Vanessa definitely has its place, but I think that there are also others that are looking at those themes that might be more I don't want to say more memorable, but I think there's something special about in the dream house which makes me want to advance it. I agree with you. Um I do think it has an advantage because it's nonfiction. Because, you know, you read the, read about what happened, you read about her experience and it's, you know, knowing that it's true, it feels very powerful. Although I do think Mark, my dark Vanessa, she has said is based on 
things that happened to her as well. So it's not, you know, conjured out of thin air. Um, I agree with you about the creativity of in the dream house, the fact that it was, you know, she does weave in so many different genres and, you know, film and fiction and poetry and analysis analysis. And you, and you really do start to see too, that, um, this notion of emotional abuse, psychological abuse permeates so many aspects of art and film and culture. And it makes you, it makes you think a lot. Um, my dark Vanessa did too. And I loved my, my dark Vanessa and I loved the writing and I loved how meticulously she detailed the unspooling of this relationship. But I, I agree with you on everything you said. And for that reason, I would also advance in the dream house. Okay. That worked out. Yes. All right. So our last pairing is There There by Tommy Orange and The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. And I can start with this one. Um, I, for me, think that There There, uh, for me, was a much more powerful read. I think I've mentioned I'm not the biggest fan of The Vanishing Half. And we talked about that on the last show. And I was championing normal people over the vanishing half. So unsurprisingly, again, I'm going to go with there, there. Um, Both of them deal with some pretty important issues. What I found so fresh about there, there is this is a population that I really very, very rarely read about. So it's a Native American gathering in Oakland, California, and it's multiple stories and voices that get threaded together at the end. It's very bleak. It is, um, you also have a sense of impending doom throughout. (laughs) Nicole made the point last week. If a 3D, if if a gun is 3D printed in the first act, it's going to go off by the last act. So, you know, something bad's going to happen when these people all, you know, converge. Um, it's not a book I would be racing to pick up again anytime soon. Um, but I still, I do think about it. I do think about these lives and these characters and the bleakness of their existence. Um, uh, the vanishing half, you know, it also deals with very interesting and important issues. It deals with identity and racism and, um, culture and, you know, how you see yourself and, you know, how you, present yourself to society and how that changes how people treat you. Uh, but I had problems with the book and that detracted from the overall message and power of the book. Whereas with the Tommy Orange book, even though it wasn't like my favorite book to read, I didn't, I, I thought it was really well done. So for me, I would move there, there forward. I would agree with you. Uh, I would like to say, I don't know if we mentioned this, but Vanishing Half was the book that went against normal people that our listeners chose that book. And I had told Gail before the show that I had been thinking about it a lot. And I said, I wish I had championed harder for The Vanishing Half just because uh, I believe that it separated itself in the issues that it addressed in the fact that I thought about the book, where as normal people, I think what you can react to is the fact that it's so familiar and so angsty. And for a lot of us, like brings back 
romance angst from when we were young. So there's something about it that makes you makes it so identifiable. Uh, what's going on with Marianne, and it does touch touch on issues of sexism and classism, and you know what trumps the other. Marianne is wealthy. Connor is not. There was a lot going on there. I think that with the vanishing half, is it can kind of be e- easy to say that oh, this was an easy book, but I I just thought a lot of the concepts, a lot of the conversations that I continued to have after I read the book, just made it clear that it was resonating and clicking and making people think in a way that I think makes it timeless. Here, I would say, given all of that, I would agree with you on advancing there, there. I think it has the edge because there's something about it that is just smacks of almost like a masterpiece, the way he has taken like these 12 different, um, people who identify as indigenous to the United States and what their lives are like, like what different existences are they living? Um, what have they been able to, some are just eking out an existence. Some have managed to be successful. You know, how do they look? How are they showing up in the workplace? To what point are they aware of their culture? And just the fact that there are just so many different aspects that initially seem quite separate from each other and everything just kind of comes together when they meet at this powwow that's being held in Oakland. Like Gail just mentioned, you know from the beginning that a gun is going to be there. You know that all of these people are marching towards, you know, they have marched through so much history, which is referenced in the novel. And you just know that they're marching towards like, another historic meeting with what's going to happen just because there are just so many elements in place that, you know, it's going to, you know, something is going to pop off and just to be able to control all those elements and have them separate. And you just kind of read some of these stories in the beginning. I think he gets around to each set of people twice. Like there's the first time where you may not necessarily know them. And then there's the second time kind of as people are gathering and more threads are coming together. So he was just a puppet master. He had a lot of pieces in the air that came together beautifully. It is a, it's, it's a novel that I would read again, just because I feel like it was really layered and there would probably be so much more understanding to go back and read it with a kind of base for what's going to happen. So I'm on board with advancing there, there. All right. So that brings us back to the Long Bright River and A Woman Is No Man matchup, which I am happy to turn that over to the listeners. I like the listener involvement. So yes. Let's All do right. it. So I will post that um, on, once the show airs, I will post the question in the Readerly Report Facebook group and Facebook page. And we can also post it on Instagram. So if you have thoughts on which one should progress to the final four, Long Bright River versus A Woman Is No Man, please lend your voice. And on that note, on that note, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. 
You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.